This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv and streaming on AMIplus.ca. I'm Alex Smythe. If you're a frequent viewer of the show, you'll know that Dave believes transit policy is disability policy. And he isn't the only person on the show who's been thinking about this uh, as well, because Megan Gilmore, who is a reporter with Canadian Fairs, she has spent a bit of time during the past few weeks thinking about and writing about public transit in Canada, and she is here now to talk about the findings she's come across. Hello, Megan. How are you doing today? Happy New Year, Alex. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you. So, Megan, your reporting started with a very basic question beyond just inspiring today's poll, but your question, what was it and why was it inspired? Sure. So the basic question that I started with was, why is the VO train always late? And shocker, not so much, that was inspired by a lot of personal experience. So I uh, live in Ottawa right now, and in the fall, I had to go back uh, to southwestern Ontario to, to my parents uh, several times for some family things and then some uh, doctor's appointments um, with like an eye surgery I had. And to do that, I go to Union Station and then I go from Union to I take a go train to Burlington where my parents pick me up. Mm -hmm. And my train from Ottawa to Union is often late. Um, and I was sitting there on the train one day trying to do some work for this job, working on another article, and the internet was spotty, and I was texting my boss about, like, yeah, I'm trying to try to do some work on something, but, like, the internet's not being, you know, really reliable, and she said something like, oh, life on a train, and I almost texted back, can we please do a story about why the train is always late? Um, but wasn't sure if that would fly. But then I brought it up at a meeting and she was like, yes, yes, we must. So this is how it began. <laughs> and so, Megan, I, I know you never just leave a question unanswered or unqualified. So give us some data. How mm -hmm. often are Via Rail trains late? Sure. So if you are an avid user, a regular user of Via Rail Canada, you may think, wow, my train is like always late all the time. And you wouldn't necessarily be wrong. So in the third quarter of 2023, Via Rail reported that their trains were only on time 50% of the time, which means they were late 50% of the time, which means half of the trains were late. So if yeah. you're feeling like this is a common occurrence, it's because it is. And then in 2022 as a whole, uh, I believe the on-time performance was about 57%. So still just over half of trains are actually considered to be on time. So thinking through my experience with Via Rail, mm -hmm. I, I haven't been a huge user of it. Usually just in the GTHA, you know, you'll use GoTrain, things like that. Via Rail is more the longer journeys. I have taken it multiple times to go up to places like Ottawa and, and whatnot. And I, I find, yeah, the experience very much hit and miss. Usually, usually it's, it's mm -hmm. on time departing, 
but then I'm going to be stuck on on the train itself for at least 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe even yep. an hour going to it. But why in general are these 50% of these trains late? Is there a specific reason? Like why, what are the rationales given? Sure. So first, like we just have to acknowledge like there's unexpected delays that happen, right? Like there's a thing called mm -hmm. weather. We live in yeah. Canada. There's a thing called snow, right? Like stuff <laughs> happens that a train company has zero control over, okay? But the main larger like systemic or from a policy uh, perspective, the larger reason why this happens is because Via Rail does not own the tracks it uses. So only about 2 to 2.5% of the train tracks across the country that Via Rail uses are owned by Via Rail, which means that everywhere else, which is most everywhere else, Via Rail is like a tenant. They make agreements with other companies to use the trains, and that means that other trains get priority over them. The, the trains are mainly owned by CN Rail, and CN Rail owns the big freight trains. So that means that the big long freight trains that run more slowly, they get priority. That's why you're going to be on a siding track waiting for a freight train to pass. Also, because CN Rail or other companies own the trains, that means that uh, sorry, owns the owns the tracks. That means that they're responsible for maintenance of the tracks. And in, in some cases, the reason why uh, train trips are are longer is because uh, the trains have to go at slower speeds because the tracks um, aren't up to carrying a, a passenger train at a faster speed. Interesting, because I, I've never once considered the question of who owns the, the, the tracks right. themselves as being part or, or tied in any way, shape, form to, you know, the performance of, of VIA or, or train speeds or train travel times. It's, it's truly fascinating. In terms of how this connects and impacts folks with disabilities, like what's that connection point? Sure. I'm just going to go back and add a point to what you were just saying, and then I'll answer this question about disabilities. So it's not just CN Rail. It's also, Alex, like mm -hmm. Metrolinx owns yep. part of the tracks in Union. So if you've ever been in Union Station, especially if you're pulling into Union on a Via Rail, and you're like, why am I still stuck here? Like, why can I not move? I can see Union Station. Like, it's right there, and I am stuck. And, like, why is this last, like, 10 minutes taking 30 minutes? It's because Metrolinx. Um, so there's a lot of different moving parts of this, which we'll get back to. And then in terms of impacting people with disabilities, I think it's it's an obvious thing, but you forget it until somebody tells you it again. If you cannot drive, yeah. public transit is transit. Public transit is personal transit. Public transit is private transit. Like That's how you're getting anywhere. Uh, so people with disabilities are disproportionately impacted by delays in transit because that's how they're going to be getting around if your disability impacts your ability to drive. Uh, so especially in um, areas where you may have to travel further for specialist appointments um, or different type, types of medical care or disability supports, uh, this could impact your ability to access it. Um, there's been stories, and if you go to CanadianAffairs.news, there's, there's a piece I wrote a few weeks ago about VIA, and an individual that we spoke to, um, his train essentially stopped working, and he and all his other fellow passengers were uh, put onto buses, and they continued the rest of their train trip via a bus. Um, he was able to do that. That was fine. But what if you're a passenger and you use a wheelchair 
and your train like, breaks down somewhere in the middle of nowhere canada in the middle of the night and you're waiting for a bus is the bus that's going to come to get you are they able to take you in your wheelchair so it adds a whole other layer of complexity uh, when you're planning uh, your your trips. Um, and also just think about uh, depending on like attendant care and what needs somebody might have. If a train trip balloons in length by a significant amount of type, time, that could affect the others, other needs that somebody might have. So it, there's a whole bunch of ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even uh, on the um, uh, conversation earlier in the show on the Daily Poll, Elizabeth Moeller mentioned the fact that, you know, she never takes a, a train the day of an appointment or, or uh, an important uh, uh, kind of uh, meeting or, or kind of commitment because of these things like delays or mm -hmm. if there is something like the, the train has to stop or there is a breakdown, you want to ensure you're going to make it on time and that's just the reliability uh, uh, factor is always something so key and uh, top of mind. But even beyond that, as you mentioned, with like having a bus as an alternative, what if the train breaks down in the middle of nowhere where there are no roads? Because there's quite often it's a train lane and uh, that's about it. You've you got trees on both sides. It's not exactly an easy access point for something like a bus to get to. So you would still have to get to a bus on top of that. Um, what now let's let's look. We're we're a solutions-based show. I like to think mm -hmm. uh, from time to time, Megan. You know, we like to put on our our thinking hats and come up with solutions. So, what solutions are there, or possible solutions are there for this issue? Sure. So there, there's a few different policies that will be uh, touted when you talk to people who who work in this field and, and who research it. One is that you create more rail lines. Mm. So this is when people talk about high frequency rail lines in Canada, mainly uh, when they do that, they're talking about between like Toronto and Montreal, or potentially like maybe between Calgary and Edmonton. Um, that That is one way, right? You give the, the via, you give passenger rail trains their own line and they don't have to compete with the freight trains and everybody can just go and do their thing it's fine um that could be a solution there are people who have concerns about how that might uh might end up working with who who's in charge of those those high frequency uh rail um there that also is really intensive right you have to like create a whole new train track so it's very resource heavy that type of thing Another one has to do with the contracts that are negotiated between, let's say, Via Rail and the companies that own the tracks that Via Rail uses. And they're, uh, they, in December, shortly before Christmas, a private member's bill was introduced in the House of Commons by um, an NDP MP out in BC that would, uh, it, that asked the government to change the Canada Transportation Act so that passenger rail trains, uh, sorry, passenger trains have priority over freight trains. So there's that, like, can we change the law and give priority to people versus freight trains? Um, so there's different solutions that, that are out there, um, but a lot of it just really comes down to negotiating contracts. And I think to be clear, everybody, Everybody thinks that like freight trains are important. Okay. So like nobody's saying mm -hmm. like, oh, we don't need to transport things by 
trains that no one's saying that but the question is how do we have passenger trains and freight trains use the same resources in a way where everybody's able to benefit mm -hmm. yeah no that's a very key point and, and the thing is too is like it's also uh when you're you're thinking about okay these uh train tracks and you got the the passenger train versus the the um uh kind of transport trains oftentimes those transport trains are two, three times the size of yeah. these passenger trains too. So yeah. even if there was an issue with that, you're, you're taking up far more of the tracks themselves. So yeah, I think maybe there is, there's something to be said there in that uh, kind of agreement of, okay, maybe we prioritize the passenger trains. And if that results in cargo getting there an hour or two later than it was uh, originally scheduled, well, I, I think the the impacts are going to be less felt than it is from the passenger standpoint of being late almost every single or at least one out of every two times to your destination. So uh, certainly fascinating, something I never considered or even thought about, Megan. So thank you so much for, for bringing this story forward and have yourself a wonderful day. No problem. Have a good rest of the show. You too. That was uh, Megan Gilmore, who is a reporter in Ottawa with Canadian Affairs. And you can read her work at Canadian Affairs for News. So that is uh, CanadianAffairs.news. In 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller shares her weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index rose yesterday despite losses in the energy sector. Toronto's S&P TSX index gained 137 points to close at 21,074. New York's Dow Jones average rose 216 points and the Nasdaq surged 319 points or 2.2%. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 385 points and after losing $3 yesterday, the February crude oil contract is trading above higher this morning at $71.76 U.S. per barrel. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.84 cents U.S. A few years after some Indigo and Chapter stores unionized, their union says the retailer has made things increasingly difficult for workers post-pandemic. An Indigo spokeswoman says the company bargains in good faith and is committed to complying with collective agreements. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebeau. It's now time to check in with the world of weather with Elizabeth Moeller. Elizabeth, looking outside the window this morning, it's seeming like it's getting pretty dark and pretty stormy out here. Is that the same for the rest of Ontario? Yes, unfortunately, that calm winter that we've had in Ontario, it's about to change. Uh, not so calm anymore with a big Texas low, which is going to cause some disruptions and bring some different types of precipitation onto our weather table. So winter storm watches, snowfall warnings, and unfortunately, some travel advisors and weather statements are in effect in many areas of Ontario. So if you are planning to travel, check the weather conditions first to be sure that it's safe. Some places in Ontario might get up to 25 centimeters of snow and wind gusts from 50 to 75 kilometers per hour. That is pretty windy and lots of heavy rain. Freezing rain also is possible on the table in some areas, which is gonna make driving conditions quite risky. 
So expect some widespread travel issues as the storm moves across the province. Snowfall, icy conditions might surprise drivers. And this is a typical winter storm, but it's taking a bit of an unusual path, Alex. What we're seeing is we're seeing uh, cold air from Canada, warm air from that Gulf of Mexico, and then energy from the Rockies. And unlike typical mid-January storms, it's going to move from Texas straight into the Great Lakes area, more like an early spring storm, but don't be fooled, it's not early spring. And this storm is gonna start as snow before turning to rain. So Alex, I would suggest bringing all elements of clothing with you when you exit your doors in the next couple of days, umbrellas, coats, hats, boots, you name it. Elizabeth, I have an even better solution. Don't go outside at all. That's what I plan on doing as okay, much as possible. Okay, well, you could do that too, but some of us do like to play in the snow. What can I say? That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. Elizabeth, thank you so much for You're this. You're welcome. Okay, coming up after the break, the 2024 federal budget is now open for feedback. Community reporter Dorothy McNaughton explains why you should share your input. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.